Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
how do you tame the mind? How to get rid of anger, emotions, negative emotions? This very simple solution is by being spacious. Spacious, you understand? Then when you come to know the teachings more, the awareness, the understanding, the wisdom and the compassion become that spaciousness. Spaciousness becomes the nature of your mind. Spaciousness is the natural great peace. The spaciousness is the peace of mind. The spaciousness is the wisdom. Spaciousness is the compassion. of that cyclical form of thinking and 
how that's vibrating in our energy field that makes it real on so many levels. You know, today I'm going to have a conversation with a return guest that I really remembered very, very deeply. There's something about Mark who just, his sincerity, his softness, but something about him that's also quite just genuine. And it gives me delight to bring back on air Mark Coleman, who is the author of Make Peace With Your Mind, Awake in the Wild, and his new release from Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. He's the founder of the Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in clinical psychology. And Mark has actually guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant, counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide. Today, I welcome my brother, Mark Coleman, back on air. Hi, Mark. Welcome. Hi, Sister Jenna. Very lovely to be back with you and on your show, and likewise, I have very fond memories of our conversations from the past. Mm-hmm. So, pleasure to. Mm-hmm. Ditto, ditto. Let's talk about you and your journey in meditation. As you know, meditation now in America is really becoming the go to portal for folks to really fix themselves or get themselves in some sort of a balance or an alignment. And I'm always concerned that we don't, you know, take meditation into like a commercial branding and you know a promotion it's really something very sacred that's been with us for thousands and thousands of years but we were moving away from it and with technology the anxiety that's in the country right now the highest it's been in centuries people are trying to turn inwards they want to go inwards to find an answer so what actually led you mark into becoming a mindfulness teacher and starting meditation. Yes. Well, I agree. We're living in interesting times where meditation is becoming the one of the go-to uh, forms and with various uh, intentions, some deeper than others, which I'm sure we'll go into later. But for myself, well, I first started meditating with, with Transcendental Meditation. It was a family endeavor, partly to help my father with his stress. And a few years later, I was a young man in college, also stressed and unhappy and confused and really looking for something something deep. I had some intuition that there was something deeper in life than the kind of suffering existence I was living and so I began searching and exploring different disciplines and eventually found a Buddhist meditation group in East London and started mindfulness practice and a heart practice, a loving-kindness meditation. And that was very radical for me to both enter the realm of meditation and, and to really see uh, how profound that those contemplative practices can really illuminate our mind and heart and really provide both a framework and also tools for understanding the mind and and freeing the the suffering and and pain that we have. And so that began a lifelong exploration, took me to India, took me to the States, and after, I don't know, maybe 20 years, started, was invited to teach by my teachers and started teaching primarily in in a Buddhist insight meditation context and then over time founded the Mindfulness Institute because I really realized that um, most people were not going to walk into a, an ashram <laughs> or a monastery or a temple and they were, but they wanted, they wanted the tools and this is before the mindfulness explosion so I began teaching organizations and individuals, companies 
who were looking, and, and then since then, of course, mindfulness has now exploded. And I mean, what do you think about the explosion of um, mindfulness now? Do you think it's moving in the right direction, or is there something that we can add to it, or is there something that we're missing regarding mindfulness? Because yeah. even now, folks would rather have mindfulness in schools than if you say meditation. And a lot of people who are right. going in are doing meditation, but they say, oh, it's mindfulness. What, right. what are your thoughts? Right. Yeah, well, I would say it's going in every direction, <laughs> as many directions as there are people, you know, and that's the good, the bad, and the not so great. And I think in general, you know, the principle of the practice, when one cultivates, you know, meditation and meditative awareness through mindfulness or whatever discipline, the practice in itself has its own inherent integrity. And so even if people are not necessarily I, even doing it for the right intentions or, you know, doing it in, on a more, you know, superficial level, the practice by itself be, does begin to transform consciousness and the heart. And so I do trust that uh, those who are drawn to a deeper immersion with these tools and practices and teachings will deepen. You know, it is providing a stepping stone and an introduction doorway for, for millions of people who never would have had that doorway. And mm-hmm. then, of course, there's the, you know, there's the commodification and materialism that happens in consumer culture. It commodifies everything. And there's some of that. But even in that, I think even if it's sold, you know, on an app or in some, you know, online course, the actual practice, when done, you know, seriously, does have its transformative potential. And then those who resonate with that will obviously go deeper and, you know, find a teacher or, you know, hopefully sure, find other sure. avenues to deepen. So I'm in general sort of, you know, as much as I, I mean, I wrote the books, I was concerned of the simplification and mm. the dumbing down of mindfulness. You know, it, 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 these practices come from liberating traditions of freedom right. and and so I wanted to speak to the depth of that, but speaking to a mainstream audience. And so that's why I wrote From Something to Peace and to try and seed that discussion more in the mindfulness world of, yeah, these practices are really about finding freedom, peace, liberation, mm-hmm. compassion you know, in a very real way. Beautiful. So, One of the chapters in the book is called Embracing Death's Invitation. What does that mean? Because when I looked into it, it was like each time I step out of my ego thinking and the stories that I'm so used to, I've been invited to the death of the ego, but the life of the soul. But could you Um, elaborate more on that chapter? Yeah. So um, that chapter comes in, comes in embedded in in a series of uh, chapters that really is one of the main thrusts of the book, which is, you know, mindfulness is, you know, basically helps us to draw on the innate power of awareness, which is beautiful gift and nature of mind, as Sakya Rinpoche was pointing to in your earlier piece on uh, this morning. And what's radical about that orientation, that practice, is it's really a radical meeting, allowing and turning towards the truth of experience, whatever it is, both beautiful, joyful, sorrowful, painful. And so, you know, one of the fabrics of life is transience, change, unreliability, uncertainty. And of course, that the ultimate form of that is in our own death. 
And, you know, so mindfulness is really a training in meeting the truth of our experience, including the fact that things change, that we lose things, and we all inevitably, we're on a one-way journey towards our own physical death. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about the, the, the spiritual death of the ego mm-hmm. and, and, and that transformation. But what I find is that when, when we cultivate these practices that turn towards these inherent truths of, of life, that we develop more equanimity, more balance, less reactivity, less fear, or, or less surprise or indignance if death or loss mm. happens. It's happened. And so in the tradition, meditation is considered the preparation for death, preparation for the right. unknown, preparation, preparation for ultimate uncertainty and unknowing. And so sitting in that, you know, as we practice every day, that is, you know, it's, it's a beautiful preparation, which I think prepares the soul for finding balance and ease and even peace within that situation. Right. Now, looking at the state of the world, but even just our own inner state, what would you say is perhaps one of the most pressing things we need to do for our mindfulness to emerge and for first really begin to do the work because there's a lot of information out there, Mark, you and I know that, and there are times that we receive the information at a head level. So we're kind of walking around like we have the answer, but the answer's not really working at a deeper level. Is there something that you can offer us that can really get us to really begin the work at a really deep level, similarly to when you see how the prophets really did a big turnaround and the saints in which they really felt whatever's going on in the world right now, I'm not going to be a part of this. This is not what I support. There's something higher calling me. Is there something you have that we can turn inwards to really begin, you know, the journey towards peace? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, one of the reasons techniques. I love being on your show is, 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 <laughs> is your, question, your questions are so profound. <laughs> It gets me like I'm, I just feel myself dropping deeper, like I'm just, like this this mm-hmm. weight dropping deep into the ocean. Like, yeah, what is being called for? You know, it, it's a big question, and, and we are facing you know troubling times, you know, particularly with the ecological crisis, as I write about in the book, but also you know the social crisis around immigration and and polarization in society mm-hmm. and vast inequality. So we you know what practices support us with that. So one of the things that I speak a lot to in my teaching and writing is that the thrust of the book is around mindfulness, but really, as I teach, in a mature soul, in a mature practice, the qualities mm-hmm. of love and awareness are integrated. So we turn towards ourselves or others or the world with a kind attention, a compassionate presence, a loving awareness, and I do think it's those two qualities that we both need the, need the, the mm-hmm. sort of laser quality of awareness, the cloudy, the radical turning to the truth, but we also need to hold that with love, with compassion because of the immense suffering in the world and because of the, the suffering that keeps getting perpetuated by greed and fear and hatred and racism and animosity. Yeah. So those were the two practices I first started with in my journey were loving kindness and mindful awareness. And I right. do feel like 
developing those, you know, particularly the way awareness practices help us turn to and look at the truth and meet the truth and not turn away and not cover it over, not make it pretty and to really look at ourselves and, and, and look at the world and the society that we're creating, which is rapidly, we're becoming a disembodied society, we're becoming a uncompassionate governmental policies. And so I think what's happening in, in, in the world at this time is we're being asked to wake up. I think the other piece I would add to the yes. inside yes. of loving awareness is we're waking up to our, what I call the ecological self. You know, as you yes. talked about seeing beyond our narrow egoic concern as a species, you know, if we're, if we're to survive, you know, whether it's climate crisis or the current round of extinction, species extinction, we need to wake up to the fact that we are part of the living, breathing earth. We are intimately interconnected and what we do affects everybody. And we have yeah. to both live personally and collectively with that understanding. And as a species, we haven't done that because we've been more, you know, localized and look at basically just looking at imminent threat. And we have to look at in a much broader scale, deeper time, future generations, and that requires some enlightened yes. consciousness and some enlightened leadership, which sadly there is not much of that at the moment, although I do have some faith in the younger generations who feel like they have a little more radical seeing of, of the crisis we're in and, and a passion to meet yes. that. Yes, it kind of feels like we're all under the tsunami of uh, numbness. And even though you hear activists are rising up and people are speaking up and, and everyone is getting really, you know, forcibly validated in the way that they want to show up with what's going on, I'll sit back and I'll observe. And I'm a very big part of saying, you know, this is a huge wake-up call. The changes that we've been going through in the last two years and a half has really brought us to a point of deeper self-reflection. And um, I think what's really, really needed here is that we've got to break out of this pattern of waiting for tragedy to turn us inwards. And when we have things that are comfortable and easy and loving, you know, it's as if we take it for granted. But maybe that is what the universe, you know, is here to offer us. Maybe that's just how we've got to do it. Because in the book, you also note that self judgment is a pretty huge modern epidemic and maybe because we judge ourselves so much we do exude that to others and this judgment 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 energy is moving us away from our peace could you share a little bit with what can we do if at all anything we can move away from these patterns mark that okay i'm not seemingly perfect. My energies don't feel so aligned. I, I don't feel like Jesus or Buddha or God. But how can we go about stepping out of this very self-critical way of being and or self-judging? And then, you know, we tend to push that off on other people sometimes when we can't even see ourselves. What are some of the thoughts that you had shared in the book that our listeners can get a peep into? Yeah, well, it's true, sister, that the the critical mind, self-critical mind, the judging mind, it does feel epidemic. I do, you know, as you do, work with thousands of people all over the world, and I see how much unnecessary suffering comes from the way people talk to themselves, treat themselves, judge themselves, put themselves down, set themselves in possibly high standards, compare themselves negatively to others, 
and and it's a tremendous source of of really unnecessary suffering. It's often intergenerational, passed down from conditioning, social, family, and whatever. And what has and I, of course I was very much with you know embedded within that. I, I had a very strong inner critic and had to have done mm-hmm. a lot of work over the years with it. Quite persecuting, quite cruel. And I have found that one of the that awareness is it's a beautiful, liberating quality in that when we can be present to something with awareness, we're no longer mm-hmm. caught within its trap. It still may be functioning. It's still, you know, it's not just yes, if we see yes. the critic, it goes away, but it right. creates this space so we don't identify, don't believe it. It really gives a sense of choicefulness so we don't actually have to buy into its story and perspective, you know, and really seeing, oh, it's just a distorted point of view that I happen to give a lot of attention authority to, but actually it's not really very much based in reality. And that's the liberating quality of mindfulness when when we develop this capacity of awareness to see clearly, whether it's ourselves, our thoughts, or the judgments we have about others. And then the, the heart quality comes in and it's like, okay, so this is a painful pattern and how can we turn towards the good how can I appreciate what's here in myself and others how can I incline my attention towards goodness beauty wholeness joy whether it's in myself in the earth in the world and so we can radically change state of mind and heart and I think that's one of the things I wanted to communicate in the book is that we do have a lot of resources within ourselves, within our own heart and mind that can mm-hmm. free us from a lot of turmoil. And, and there's an expectation that somehow someone else should do it or society should do it. And yes. um, we really have to look within to cultivate these qualities that can really free us from very, you know, like the critic, like a very barbarous, painful state of mind. Yes. In our teachings of the Brahma Kumaris in Raj Yoga, we have to go inwards and upwards to do the work for the transformation. And we have been traveling with this very, very deep impression of waiting for something outside to help us to cure what's going on inside or wait for God to come and help and cure it. And I'm not saying that he's not doing something, but am I actually opened to the transformation so that the energy can work? And so there's a stuckness, Mark, that... We are in that we want to get out, and I suspect that your book, The Suffering Towards Peace, will definitely help us with some tools. Is there a favorite chapter in your new book that you tend to find yours open the book and go right back there to go deeper in? Um, that's a great question. You know, it's for an author, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to necessarily find you know, I, I, I'm attached to various chapters, but I think my teaching and what's been most powerful and liberating for me is to really understand awareness and the nature of awareness and its liberating quality. And so there is a chapter called Exploring the Nature of Awareness, where, as you know, as Soga Ripsha was pointing to in the earlier piece that you played around, he was referring to it more as a natural spaciousness. There is, mm. you know, again, pointing to what you were talking about, we tend to look outside rather than paying attention to that which is doing the looking, which is awareness. Right. And, well. and, and we tend to look to 
the objects of things for satisfaction, for pleasure, for well-being, for connection, and we forget it's the very awareness that's allowing all of that experience to be. So, you know, as you know, I teach a lot of my work, my meditation work in nature, and mm-hmm. the reason I do that is it's a beautiful place to you know, draw forth these qualities of, of attention, mindfulness, love, and but what I love about that work is that I'm helping people cultivate and train and develop their awareness so we're really, really present and attuned and sensitive. And so when we're in a natural landscape, it can have its optimal impact. Or when we're with a loved one or a child, when we really hone their awareness, then there's so much beauty and goodness and love and joy to appreciate in the world. There's also a lot of suffering and pain too. But mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful portal, and people don't realize the very jewel that they're seeking is actually in their own mind, in their own heart right. of awareness. So I'm, I'm definitely fond of that part of the teaching in the book. Beautiful. Mark, can I ask you to take us into a meditation, maybe something that was in the book, for our listeners to go into the experience of what the book is also offering? Sure. Yeah, how long would you mm, love like that. to be? Well, it being radio, <laughs> can we go like up to like maybe three minutes? Sure. That's oh, great. beautiful, everyone. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So wherever you are, sitting, lying down, just take a moment to pause and close your eyes and just Become curious, what are you noticing? What are you naturally present to? You may notice the soundscape of the day, outside sounds, inside sounds, nature sounds. Just notice how effortlessly sounds are known. You don't need to make any particular effort. Relaxing in the body and listening to the symphony of sounds. Pleasant, unpleasant, distant and near sounds. And in that same spacious way, become aware of the symphony of your body. Body is this wonderland of experience, sensation, energy, movement. Noticing how easily and naturally we can be aware of our body, sitting, touching, Sensing at the temperature, and aware of the movement of the breath, how the body breathes itself naturally, effortlessly. Making that our attention to attune to sounds, sensations, to breathing happening by themselves.
In the same way we can be aware of the landscapes of the heart, moods, feelings that are present. The terrain of the mind, its thoughts and images. So we can abide in this awareness that's present to the coming and going of experience. Natural, effortless. The nature of your own mind and heart. And so as we bring this short meditation to a close and you open your eyes, now including that domain of seeing, light, color, form, shape, sounds, buildings, people, nature, and how that we also can stay abiding in this awareness as we listen to this conversation, as we move, as we see, as we drink tea or whatever it is you're doing. Like that. Um, Mm. Over to you, sister. Mm. Thanks. I believe we all needed that. When you asked the question about just to be curious with how you're feeling and where you are, you know, the soul, if you listen to it, it never lies to you. And I felt like I was a little inside, like something is disturbing me. I know what it is. But you know how you put it on the shelf because you've got life to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you forget that right. that's actually what you need to sort out so you can do the life. And it came up pretty, pretty clear. clear. Thank you for that. There's a quote that you have in the book. You say the quote is from a 17th century Zen master, Ban Kay, who said, don't side with yourself. Give me a little bit clearer interpretation of that. What does that mean? Yeah, so that's one of my favorite quotes. So the simple entryway into that is is often we find ourselves arguing in our own heads. We're we're rehashing (laughs) conversations, points of view and perspectives. We're arguing with politicians we'll never meet or our spouses or our children or and, of course, we're always siding with ourselves. We're right, they're wrong. If only they listened and saw it my way, they would know, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's the smaller context. And the broader context is, you know, we tend to move through life naturally oriented towards ourselves in an egoic way and uh, feeling quite separate and me and you and this is mine, that's yours. And so, and you can see the seed of all this, you know, trouble we're having with, with racism and immigration and, you know, putting up border boundaries and, it's really siding with ourselves, which is a, siding with a, a very self-centered, egocentric point of view. And, I mean, it's not that we, you know, we obviously need to take care of ourselves and our family and, and our body. And it's not, we're not advocating ignoring that, mm-hmm. but it, it can we live in a way that's more inclusive, that's more collective, that's more less separating or less othering of people. And so, when we find ourselves lost in those stories about, you know, blaming and judging and we're right and they're wrong, it's, the invitation is, can I step outside of my own narrow point of view, my own perspective, my own limited needs, and, and expand into a more broader perspective and, and 
that's the invitation. And so, again, where mindfulness comes in, it helps us see the painfulness of that limited perspective that we get caught so easily in a narrow, you know, egocentric worldview. And it's familiar and comfortable, but actually it doesn't, it's not the peace that we're looking for. Right. I'm not sure if I'm going to be clear with this next question, but, um, you know, as you're talking and I'm seeing myself there as well, with the amplification of what I call algae, anger, lust, greed, attachment, and ego in the soul, what I might witness on television or in leadership or next door neighbor or in a particular area of the country or in the world, uh, it seems like separation, division, divisiveness, all of these things, hate, racism. Have you ever had the feeling that sometimes you're seeing yourself in that? Because, you know, even though I'm seeing it at an amplified state, I mean, when I look at my own life, I've moved away from certain things and people. I've moved away from certain situations and scenarios that I go, that's not for me. And I wonder if all that's going on Every part of this world, is it for every single human being to really begin to reflect, become mindful, and suffer towards getting back to their peace, which is their original religion and their original power? Hmm. Have you ever felt that even though we see the amplification of a lower vibration in terms of expression, Uh haven't you noticed that you know, I too have some of that. I, I mean, I could actually see me in a particular situation, not as oh, amplified. Yeah. yeah. And right. what did right. you do to sometimes t- turn that truthfulness around to say, what do I do here? How do I show up here? Because I could see myself in that. Right. Yeah. Well, a mantra that I've got recently that relates to what you're speaking about is when I see people acting out, doing things that are crude, cruel, harmful, spiteful, mean, selfish, Uh, the the, the thought that comes to mind is what's the need? What is the need? We act from a place of need, often from a place of scarcity or fear or anger or often trying to get unmet needs met. And so two phrases I use. So one is I ask myself, what is their need? If this person cutting me off on the freeway, driving fast and recklessly, rather than like, oh, this person, you know, how dare they and didn't they see me and, you know, righteous indignation. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, what's their need? Maybe they're late for an important uh-huh. meeting. Maybe their wife's giving birth and they're, you know, maybe, you know. So I, I put myself in that situation like, yeah, I, you know, and then the other phrase is just That's like nice. me. I like that. Just like, yeah. just like me, I too can, you know, be unmindful driving, just like me, I too can, you know, take too much attention in a meeting, or just like me, I too can, you know, just be oblivious to people's needs around me at times, you know, we're all human, and so I speak to this in the book around, you know, there's different ways of holding the trajectory of of the spiritual path, and in my early days, for me, it was a path of transcendence. I wanted to transcend, I wanted to get enlightened, I wanted to get away from the suffering of the world, and I thought enlightenment means somehow leapfrogging over the mess of myself and the humanness and somehow transcending to a spiritual plane. And Mm -hmm. as I've developed and deepened in my own life and practice, really I see it 
the practice as really let, allowing oneself to come into one's humanness, the fullness of one's humanness with all of its foibles and flaws and insecurities. And not that that's ultimately who we are, but it's learning to meet and love our humanness because we are human and we do have, you know, our vulnerabilities and tendencies and and we're slow to change. And so, so it shifted for me from coming from transcending to coming into the heart and can I live with kindness and compassion and with as much knowing of my true nature as I can. And so when I, when I'm in that place and I see someone doing or acting out, you know, whether it's a politician or a neighbor, I think, oh yeah, just like me, I too can be selfish. <laughs> just no. I love it. And it just cuts the spirit, gave me a cure spiritual today. hubris. And... <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. yeah. I love yeah. it. Because it's, oh, it's you know, it. you know, as Jesus said, it, it, it's very easy to point the finger. You know, they who, you know, have not sinned throw the yes. first stone, right? Like you know, and that's, that's a beautiful like teaching. Just like me, what is their need? Mm. Beautiful. Mark, could you leave us with a website? I really love having chit-chats with you. And before you leave us with a website, any upcoming book signing, tours, events, conversations? Yes. So thank you for asking. I am on a little bit of a book tour. It's, it's more limited. It's more confined to the Bay Area in, in these next uh, few weeks and months. So probably easy just to go to my website for information about that rather than giving me a long list. So my website is markcoleman.org, M-A-R-K, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N.org. And as the information about the books and my teachings, whether it's meditation retreats, nature retreats, I went teacher trainings, and lots of book talks, giving one tonight in San Rafael in, in Wynn County, Sebastopol. And actually, I'm hoping, sister, to come out to D.C., in December, so hopefully we can mm. coordinate and I can maybe give a talk or a book reading. Oh, mm. please let us know. We would love to have you. I will. I will. All right. So, look, yeah. lots of blessings, and as usual, I know we always end up in deep, deep conversations looking for the answers, which we can't fulfill in 15 to 20 minutes, but what right. to do? <laughs> right. Yes. Always lovely to talk to you, sister, and good luck with your beautiful work. Thank you, Mark. All the best. Many blessings. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. That was Mark Coleman, author of Make Peace with Your Mind and his new book, Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. So if you want some more information, go to Mark with a K, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N.org for more information. And I love that meditation Mark did. You know, I just found myself going, oh, that one little thing lately that's just popped up for me in the last few days, and I'm like, come on, Jen, you can use a thought to change it. But it's just that suffering, you know, that feeling of suffering. We've been so addicted to suffering for so many incarnations that this is the big birth. I mean, this is the game. This is Super Bowl. This is the NBA Finals. This is, I don't know what they call baseball, but I mean, this is it. And in this lifetime is when we're going to have to get back to our original religion, and that is to be at peace with ourselves. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. So let's do that. Here's Kristen Hoffman, The Rose. Take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.